Welcome to Inner Huddle Extra Time. Hello and welcome along to the Inner Huddle podcast. I'm Perry Cocking and you are listening to the second part of an interview that I did with the Global Soccer Education Podcast. If you missed the first episode, please scroll down, find it on whatever podcast provider that you're using and I'd also really appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast particularly on iTunes but from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, This episode was really good fun I hope you have listened to part one if not go back give it a listen and then catch up with this one. I also have a new Facebook page because of the book that I am writing called Did You Win, Did You Score? which is a guide for parents and coaches that have children that are into football and it's a guide for how you can help them facilitate and fulfil their potential. So that page is Perry Cocking Author. I will put a link in the show notes below. Would appreciate a follow. Get in touch if you've got any questions and sit back and enjoy the second part of this wonderful interview that I did with the Global Soccer Education Podcast. One thing you mentioned as well is, is you kind of mentioned about the, the, co- the, the coaches that come into the game, level one coaches, and I think we, we have it as coaches drummed into us that our development is a level one qualification, a level two qualification, a B licence, an A licence, and maybe one day even maybe the pro licence. You mentioned that your career kind of deviated a little bit away from that and had a real significant impact on you. Yeah. How how did that happen? What did it look like? Well, I'll go back to when I did my UEFA B. Um, I never finished it because I was really disappointed in it, like I said. Um, looking back now, I wish I'd taken it just to get the bit of paper. Yeah. Um, and for a long time, I regretted not doing it, but I was like, this is nonsense. It's not going to help me coach kids. And I was quite headstrong and I was passionate. That's where I want to go. I want to be kids. And this is nonsense. I was still playing at the time as well. And, and I just thought it's something I might go back to later. Um, so it doesn't have to be a linear progression of level one, level two, UA for B and all that. Sometimes you need those qualifications to open doors. Um, and you can always go on these courses and you will learn something. You know, um, I'm not knocking, and they're so much better now than they were 20 yeah. years ago. It's incredible. They look into the the four corner model was the best thing that the FA I think ever come up with to to make it simple to see you know the different areas of development and all that. So all of that was brilliant. But um, I was determined that I wanted to work in the Premier League, um, and I was still playing, and obviously was never going to get there as a player and as a coach. It's very difficult unless you've been an ex-player to go on that linear path and get a job at the top and it might take you years and years um, and I had a lot of injuries when I played and I um, used to go and see a friend of mine he was a, a sports therapist at Watford at the time and he soon went to Chelsea and he's been there ever since so he must have been there phew, near on 20 years now um, and he just said to me look why don't you try doing what I'm doing so I did the same course as him, which took a couple of years. And uh, um, 
I was a community coach, as we were called back then, as you were, I think, at the time at Southampton. True, yeah. We were both there, yeah. That's yeah. where we met. That's where we met, um, doing after-school clubs. And, you know, don't want to get off the question too much, but what a valuable place to start that is, learning how to wipe Incredible. Do laces. Incredible. Kids. And, like I say, don't want to go off too much, but if you get the chance to work with those kids, do it. I see so many coaches come through now that, they want to skip that and they want to work with elite kids and kids who've already got a bit about them. <sighs> work with the ones yeah. you can't. You learn so much more from, you know, I've been on coaching courses and they'll say, you need 12 kids for this game. And you'd be like, well, what if I've got 13 in my group? Yeah. What am I going to do with the one that sits out? You know, you need to know how to adapt things and you do that. Yeah. Getting experience, working with someone like you, as I did back then saying, Oh, well that's how Jace adapts the game. And we had a uh, we had a young player at an after school club once. He didn't want to play football. He was going to be a train driver, but he was in an after school football club. Yeah. So my challenge as the coach, yeah, was I had to adapt everything that I communicated to him into a kind of train based <laughs> environment. Brilliant. And I'd seen a few episodes of Thomas the Tank Engine in the past. Knew that he was blue, so I put the kid on the blue Thomas the Tank Engine team, yeah, blue it. bib. And you're right, what those environments kind of teach you to do and how to adapt, I've never seen replicated in the elite game. So I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in what you said. It's a great foundation to to build from, and it proves your passion because if you get through that, because it's tough, as you know, doing after school clubs, and it's a thankless task a lot of the time. But you, 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 I would say you learn your trade, and I, I learned my trade with with guys like you, um, you know, and and Andy Martino. I think is going to be another guest of yours. I worked with him for a while. Yeah, spo- spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you're good. You're good. And um, and 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 you know, really learning how to adapt these things and these games. And what if it's raining? And what if they've told you to go indoors, and all you've got is a session plan for outdoors? And you know, learning the real things. Yeah, true. Them coaching but anyway i've got a a little bit so i um i did my um uh, qualification to be a sports therapist i was a community coach which is how i got into that at southampton and i asked them at southampton whether i could work with whilst i was practicing the youth players at southampton football club and they said no um, they didn't want the players to feel like they'd made it by getting nice massages and right, okay. special treatment or whatever. And then I, I got a call. I don't know how long it was, whether it was weeks or months later, saying we've changed our mind. We'd like, um, we'd like you to come in and do it. So one night a week, I used to go in and uh, and and give the youth players treatment, massages, stretches, all of those kind of things. And that went from one night a week to two nights a week. Um, and this is the big message I say to anyone out there, whether you're going into coaching, whatever you're passionate about, um, do more than you get paid for. I did that for free. And I got so much stick as a young man from my friends for doing that. It's like, well, you're doing all that for free. Um, you know, we had something called a Monday night club at the time where we go and we had our shirts of our names on and we go to the pub and we play pool and darts and have a beer on a Monday yeah. night and lads, lads and all that. One of my sessions with the youth team was on a Monday night. I couldn't go to a Monday night club anymore. Um, and I got a lot of stick from that from my friends because I was doing it for free. And they couldn't just they couldn't get their heads around it. And it went from one night to two nights. 
And then the next season, they said, well, you know most of the lads, and a lot of them are in the reserve team. Do you want to come and do the reserves? And they started giving me a bit of um, pence per mile for my mileage. Yeah. You know, wasn't a lot. I said, yeah, wow. And then suddenly, I'm going to grounds. And I'm coming out at Upton Park and Villa Park and Millwall or wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, wow, I'm so close. I'm a football fan and I'm really close to the game. And there'd be first teamers like Marion Pahars and things. Um, Klaus Lundervan playing in the reserves and you get friendly with these people and yeah. it was um, it was really good but like I say I was doing it all for free and cost me money and, and petrol and, and whatnot but looking back now that youth team had Theo Walcott Gareth Bale Adam Lalana, you know in it and I became friendly with Adam Lalana through it because when I went back to Southampton a lot later he was in the first team I worked in the first team and I'd known him since he was a kid really and yeah yeah so I don't care what you're into if you're into art go and volunteer at the art gallery if you're into drama go to your local drama club paint the stage you know do the lighting and learn your trade get yourself out there And, and I've been lucky enough to do a few talks with kids in secondary schools and things and whatever and that's always my key message you know do more than you can because I had enough on my CV then to actually apply for a real job and it was with Charlton Athletic it was with the Premier League I put my CV into all the London clubs or ones that I could commute to yeah um, and uh, I got a call from the head of uh, science I guess it was then at Charlton Athletic saying come down for an interview and I came down I stayed the Sunday night in London my own in some cheap B&B and then <laughs> Monday morning I had my interview and, and um, with the physio and the head of sports science and they said uh, we'd like you to do a week's trial and I said brilliant, I said starting when and they said now and uh, I was like wow unbelievable so went downstairs the lads had been out training the first team um, and Matt Holland was on the on the massage couch and it was like over to Matty, and he was the first pro player of Charlton Athletic that I massaged, and I still speak to him today um, and, and learn from people like that. And, and so I had this double pathway of, you know, and I got to the Premier League. I, I qualified in 2004, I was in the Premier League by 2006, and there's no other way you can do that in coaching or any other way. Maybe as a chef, something like that, you can get there, but actually working with the players Anyway, but a bit like I said about coaching, I don't think you could do it now because people like myself were seen to have done it. Other people wanted to do it. Um, and so the the market, if you like, got saturated. And suddenly there was loads of sports therapists and different courses coming up that weren't so good. I mean, I did two years at probably the top, the London School of Sports Massage. Suddenly you were getting people doing personal trainer courses. We were doing six weeks and getting a qualification, and then they could go out and charge as much as I did on the back of two years. And it's a bit like how coaching's going now as well. Uh, so I don't think you could get to that level like I did nowadays. So I was lucky. But I kind of deserved the luck because I did the two years for free um, at Saints. So it, it was one year in the Prem. Sadly, we got relegated. I did a year in the Championship. Um, I had to put my coaching on hold. But it gave me two years of access to... Chris Powell, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Andy Reid, Danny Mills, you know, people like that. And I knew that 
coaching was still my passion. So I would be talking to them about coaching and how they became players. You know, Jimmy Triori was with us. He just won the Champions League with Liverpool, the FA Cup the year after, and then he was with us. I was talking to him about his life and how he grew up as a football. And again, there was a lot of street football and a, and a, and a lot of futsal and a lot of, uh, of pick-up games, as you know, you might call them over there. And, and, um, and then I got made redundant from Charlton. Um, we Sadly, we didn't get promoted back into the Premier League. The parachute payments run out and redundancies were made. Um, and I was nailed on to go to Arsenal which would have been fantastic at that time with some of the players they had, you know, Henri and people like that, I think, were still there at that time. Um, that fell through. And funnily enough, now, the guy at Charlton that I was working with at the time, he's now at Arsenal and been there years. Right, OK. And then, because Ian Dowie was my first manager at Charlton, and then he got sacked and Alan Pardew came in. Ian Dowie had gone to QPR, and um, he'd said about coming over with him at QPR, and I was nailed on to go to QPR. I moved house to that side of London, um, and it fell through because he got sacked or was looking like he was going to. Results weren't going well. So I think the recruitment department didn't want to bring in an Ian Dowie man and then be stuck with me or whatever. And I thought, I can't be doing this. can't have that instability in my life. I'm going back to just focusing on coaching. So um, I'd taken a break, but I still owned the franchise to the Brazilian soccer school. So I just started that straight back up. I had to commute from London all the way back to where I was based and where my franchise was in Salisbury and Andover. And, and sometimes when I started up, I was traveling all the way from London, about an hour and a half, to do a session for four kids and traveling all the way back and it wasn't covering the fuel money. And But I knew I had to start somewhere and, 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 and you know, start that journey again. Um, and then I was lucky because Southampton Football Club then came back in for me as a first-team masseur. So I kind of, I completed what, I don't know, maybe a dream, if you like, because I've been with the youth team at Saints, the reserve team at Saints, and then I was with the first team when we were in League One, and that's probably the best year of my life. But at the end of it, I had to choose whether I was going to be a coach or I was going to be a sports therapist, and I chose coaching because, as you can probably tell, it's where my passion's at and where I thought I could add value. And what I'd learned from the pro game, I thought I could put into my coaching and I'm going to be miles better for it. I can have more value to... The, the children's development. Had I known we were going to get two promotions on the trot to the Premier League, I was there for the first one from League One, and they got straight in yeah. the Championship. I might have stayed around. <laughs> True. Um, but, you know, it wasn't for me, so I um, I quit that and uh, quit that pathway and, uh, and, and focused everything in, into my coaching. I think there's so much value in... in many of the aspects that you just you just described i think first of all i know i know you said it quite quite strongly but i want to re-emphasize it is is that volunteering yeah learning your craft doing your dues i think is really important it shows character and i'm i'm a big advocate for it as well so completely on board with you with that not just in that aspect of, of when you went into sports therapy but even from when you were a player to when you started learning your trade of of, of individual development you've shown so many examples in your career and your journey where you've had to be adaptable yeah it's been incredible I think you know the, the key one being you go for your interview at Cholton and then they ask you to do a week's trial and you're thinking you're going home in an hour's time and they expect you to start straight away you know to be adaptable and just to be like right okay yeah 
I'm going to do it. I think it's such a, and that's just one example of many in what you've said, I think it's really important. Yeah, and can I just add with that? Yeah, go. There's nothing special about that and there's nothing special about me. I think sometimes when you see people that have done things, you think, I could never have done that. I'd have, I'd have melted, but I did it. I still felt the fear. And uh, there's a great book, I think Susan Jeffers wrote, feel, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. I was petrified, but I still did it. And and most people that have got to a level, including yourself, I imagine, have been in situations where you're petrified, you're nervous, and everything about you saying, run, I don't want to do this. Right? People aren't born with this wonderful confidence that, you know, people might look at my career and go, Oh, he was that character, the type of character that found all that easy, had all this confidence. I wasn't a confident chap. Just did it and, and, and tried to deal with it as I went along. But, you know, I just thought I'd throw that in there because I think sometimes you look at people, I don't want to call myself a successful person, but you look, I look at other people and mentors and, you know, oh, I wish I had some of their confidence and I couldn't do what they do. And do anything you want. You just throw yourself in. Um, but prepare the best you can. So you're, you know, you, you. The more you prepare, the more adaptable you're going to be, I guess. Yeah. Not a message I was expecting to portray on air, but I think it's a huge one, huge one. I, I think, I think sometimes whatever it may be in our lives, and if we talk within the coaching kind of context, we're nervous about stuff, whether that's a, an A license assessment. Yeah. But you know what? Everyone that does an A license assessment has got a, a level of fear. And I think one is to understand you're not alone is really important. And then what you said, and, and the Susan Jeffers book sounds like a really good read is, and I use the term to myself when I'm nervous about something is lean into the fear. Okay. It's there. Yeah. And if you, if you don't face it, then it will always be there and you'll never do whatever it is. But if you lean into it, nine times out of 10, you find out it actually isn't that bad once you give it a go. Yeah. And I'm sure two minutes into doing some work on Matty Holland's calves, I'm sure you, the fear had gone and you were probably chit-chatting to him and, and you were probably getting a little bit more comfortable as, as the minutes went on in that massage, I would imagine. Yeah, well, it helped that he's a really nice fella. Yeah, so he comes across as a really good guy, yeah. He's one of the nicest fellas at the whole club. Um, and like I say, I still talk to him a little bit now and have a little banter via text and things with him. And he's, he's always been been a, a really nice chap. So it's a really good start for me um, with Matt Holland. Um, don't get me wrong, there was a few <laughs> testing characters in there as a reason of any large group of, uh, of young men, shall I say. But um, it was, um, yeah. And had I had a week to prepare for it, that fear would have grown. Yeah. And it would yeah. have become maybe overpowering you never know so actually getting thrown in at the deep end sometimes just feel it embrace it and go do you know what just step into it and go for it and it's it's very difficult don't kid yourself into thinking that there's people out there that don't feel that fear and breathe through life because absolutely it's it's not like that and if you want some if you want something enough you will feel nervous about it because you care and you want it it's a natural it goes hand in hand in fact if you're not nervous about it you probably don't want it enough and you might want to start thinking about doing something else. Yeah. Might be another message to throw out there. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. And then there was one last one in, in, in what you explained there, which I think is really, really important. And and it was that moment, the key example was that moment in your second spell at Southampton 
where you had to make a very tough decision yeah. of therapy or coaching. I mean, in, in, in a kind of coach's journey, that, that tough decision can, can be many things. I've seen it in the elite game where there's scouts that also coach, but they want to be the best. And they have to make a tough decision. Are you a scout or are you a coach? Yeah. And and I think facing tough decisions and making tough decisions is a really key part of it as well, from what you said. Yeah. And I, and I probably should have said even a step before that, when I was embarking on my... Because I, I took out the franchise of Brazilian soccer schools in 2004. And I um, I started my, co- uh, my um, therapy training at the same time 2004 I had a very safe job in the civil service for six years and I decided I was going to throw all in and this is what I mean about people might listen to that story and go well I could never do that because of this that and the other but I took out a five thousand pound bank loan because I had a nice job at the civil service handed in my notice the next day as soon as it hit my account and I threw myself in so I had five grand to pay my rent and to live off and I thought, if I if I jump all I mean, there's a, a famous quote, you know, how do you take the island where you burn the boats because you've got no plan B and you've got no back out? And it was a bit like that before I even knew it. I just jumped in, five grand loan, which needed paying back, and, I, and I'm, I'm going for it. And it's amazing what you can achieve when you take away plan B. I mean, for example, I've been talking about moving out again for, for years, and I still haven't done it. But in my last house, which I didn't want to move from, soon as they said, we're selling the house now, you need to be out in two months. I got it all done in two months, bang, moved on. So when you're left with no choices and you throw yourself all in, it's amazing what you can get done. So yeah. I did that. I wouldn't particularly recommend as drastic as that, but I, it felt right for me at the time. I didn't particularly like my job. I got the loan. My parents thought I was nuts, absolutely nuts. I think they thought I'd stay in the civil service, have a nice career. Um, I enjoyed the civil service as, as much as I represented the civil service at football, which was probably the highest standard I've ever played without being um, well known for it. Um, and I got Wednesday afternoons to play football off in the, the, the military team that was involved with the, with the camp that I was working on. Um, but I wasn't enough. And like I say, my parents, my girlfriends at the time, parents thought I was nuts. And I just went, you know what? It's my choice. And I could be there in 10 years going, oh, I wish I'd just thrown it in and done it. So I did it. Um, and like I say, it was in at the deep end and sometimes you have to swim. So that's what I did. But I didn't, you don't always need a detailed plan of where you're going to go. And, you know, if you <sighs> climbing the stairs or climbing Mount Everest all starts with one step. <laughs> Massive. Is. So... Yeah. You know, um, and there there will be on whatever journey you embark on choices to be made, decisions to be made, hard times. I had them at when I got made redundant. You know, I when I left Southampton, I cried. I, you know, grown man, and I cried because I, it was the best year of my life. Those lads, you know, Dan Harding, Adam Lalana, all of those lot, and I still speak to these guys, and we had a real good bond as a, as a group. Richard Chaplin, I've been over to stay with him in LA, and real nice stuff has come out of it, but I knew I was giving something up um, for something that I hoped that one day would be better. I didn't know, you know. So there, there will be pitfalls and 
I say decisions and things to make in your journey. It's not a linear straight line. This is where I want to go. This is where I'm at and go. That's why I don't like taking shortcuts. And I've, a lot of young coaches want to take the shortcuts to get, you know, from point A where they are to point B, which is where they want to be. And they take these shortcuts to get there, learn your trade, volunteer. I get lots of coaches asking me for work and for jobs. And I, Sometimes say, depending on what I feel, you know, come in, work with me for six weeks for free. Some of them I've never heard from again. Yeah. You know, yeah. they think they already know it all or whatever. And I'm actually not testing your football ability or your knowledge. I'm testing your character. Yeah. I want to see really this is something you want. Because if I come in now and I'm paying you or whatever from word go, um, you might leave for some something else later down the line or, you know, I need to know what you're about. And it starts with that that character so back to that message again do more than you get paid for volunteer learn your trade run a team go and help someone run a team an under sevens or an under eights whatever age group you want to work at find out what kids are like what parents are like you know what the real game is i think now a lot of coaches get a level one scour the internet for 30 40 session plans get a logo off they go yeah and and I, I, I find it quite worrying, especially if they talk a good game and are getting people's trust in them that they're, that's the best place for their child's development. And if you haven't, if you haven't been in the trenches and learned your game and worked with people, good people, um, I don't think I think you're doing these people a disservice a lot of the time. I agree. I agree. And and. And rocking up in a, a, a nice Nike or Adidas tracksuit only masks it for so long. Yeah, well, um, there'll be coaches who want to go to a bigger club, even as a community, to get a tracksuit for a Facebook yeah. Yeah. profile picture wearing a Southampton tracksuit or a Bournemouth or a Chelsea or whatever it might be, you know. And I've seen it. I've seen people that were in a good place but an opportunity's come up to be a community coach at Chelsea and they get to wear the same kit as Chelsea so they can swan around and have photos and and it's actually a real shame. It really, yeah, wear it in the supermarket. All of that, yeah. And I know yeah. we, we probably joke about it and have jokes about these, you know, things um, all our careers, but it's true and it happened. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's a shame. Perry, look, I'm conscious of your time. I've got one last thing I want to ask you about. and okay, I, yeah. I, I, I fear it could be a big one, particularly oh, with you, Perry. Yeah. From a, from a career journey point of view, I think, I think the discussion's been incredible. A big part of kind of the coaching environment now is this conversation around recreating street football, which yeah. I think has actually been more complicated than the, the, the coaches, the academies anticipated. Yeah. What would you give for coaches that, can see the value in in recreating the street game what what advice would you give to someone that wants to kind of include those components within their their training sessions it's a great question um i guess sometimes less is more there's um there's a a big pressure on a coach especially if they're getting paid to be seen that they're coaching so tipping up and just letting the kids play often doesn't come into their mindset or their thinking because they feel like at any stage, I've got to stop this game and go, stop, stand still. What could you have done better there? And these kind of traditional, if you like, conventional coaching methods um, going back years. Um, 
So don't feel under pressure to coach all the time or have been seen to coach. Um, and it's, it is a very difficult one. You might have a boss that wants to see you working, see you coaching. And I think and, and for, for bosses and, and, and people like that, you know, um, if your coach or if you as a coach can justify what you're doing and what you're trying to do, and actually I've, I've, I've got people at Saints who, who say the same to me as in my role there because I'm back there now as a coach again and a scout. It's amazing how my life's been entangled with Southampton. Um, uh, and uh, they're very supportive as well if you can justify what you're trying to achieve there so if, if one of the, the the Saints guys turns up at my session I'm doing 11 v 11 um, and then, uh, which might be frowned upon or whatever with under 7s and say if you can justify why you're doing that even to as an example of why you shouldn't be doing it or whatever you might then that's fine do it so you know give your coaches scope to do things for themselves and think whatever within as long as your values are aligned or whatever then you know give your coaches a little bit of, of leeway with that but in terms of the street soccer it is literally you have to set up an environment that takes away and this is what i think street soccer is it takes away performance anxiety that is your job if you're doing street soccer. Um, so if you're doing street soccer or any sort of game where you're still selecting players from that game, there's performance anxiety. Okay, If you're trying to do street soccer at the Burnley Academy or the Saints Academy and it's being filmed, there's performance anxiety. All right, If your coach is watching, he's picking the team on a Saturday... Then you'll perform, you know, you'll get performance anxiety. So whatever you can do to take away that anxiety, so you have to communicate that this is a session where you are free to express yourselves and try things. And what I've learned as I've got older is I now set up sessions where kids make loads of mistakes because that's where the learning opportunities are. But it doesn't look good for parents watching, and it might not look good for a boss or anyone else. It's not aesthetically pleasing sometimes. And I think a lot of coaches go into it trying to impress other people. So they might set up X, Y, and Z type coaching with you pass to them, you overlap to there, they knock it in, we'll knock it in the box. That type of thing, it looks really pleasing. Now it's your go, boom. And then when you analyze it, they've had 10 touches of the ball. You know, the ball's gone wrong. You haven't quite got over what you wanted. It's no decision-making. No decision-making, no adaptability. Um and, and no creating scenarios and situations that are real and, and might, you know, they might encounter and have to, you want players that are adaptable. So you need to put them into situations where they have to adapt. Um, and I know the expression has been used before, but let the game be the teacher. You can put constraints on that game that help get where you want the kids to go. But if you're telling the kids what to do, it's not as good as if you set a constraint where the kids solve that problem for themselves in their own way. Then it sticks, then they're developing. Um, yeah. And I, I often use it, you know, the expression, you can, you can teach a kid to do a nice painting by doing paint by numbers. And I think a lot of coaching is doing paint by numbers to get an instant picture. 
wow, look at this instant paint by number pictures. It's really good. You can put it on the fridge. Then ask them to recreate that on a blank canvas and they've got no chance. No. So you need to give kids that blank canvas and give them the opportunity to doodle, to experiment what their style is. It might be watercolours. It might be pastels. It might be bold. It might be whatever. But they need to experiment and learn. It's the same with football. And that's what street yeah. football is and about, is giving these kids the environment to make mistakes, express themselves with no pressure. Like I say, if you're, if you're getting selected for the match on Saturday based on your performance in street soccer, it's not really what it's about. And it might be that if you have a street soccer night or one of these nights that you let someone else come in to run it. They must be qualified with first aid and all yeah. those things, DBS checked. But someone else and the person that's picking the team and all that, take away that anxiety, get them gone, you know. Um, just little things like that um, might be a good tip. And I, you know, I, I wish we did it more at Southampton Football Club. Had these nights where kids, cameras are going off. We're not analysing, doing your traffic light system on your performance, analysing whatever they yeah. do at these clubs, yeah. you know, in the academies. You're having fun. And kids develop better when they're having fun. And they'll learn more about themselves when they're trying things. And it's, as coaches, it's our job to show kids what's possible and then to help them learn how to learn. And there's different ways of doing it, but they need that platform. It's like what I do, right, Jason? I'm glad you're going to be sorry you asked now, so I'm going to go on. But it's like what no, I, you I, carry on, bud. I do a lot of individual, uh, me and my ball type learning, which if you listen to debates on whatever, a lot of people will say, that's not good because when it comes to playing, they have to relearn that skill, that Cruyff turn or whatever in a real-life situation. My beliefs are if they've got that grounding and they've done it and they've got the movement, um, that accelerates that process of when they get chance. But you have, I agree. You have to match it up with giving them freedom to do it or it is pointless. Janino once said, it's like learning to swim on dry land and it's always stuck with me. If you've got you know, all the techniques in the world, but you're not allowed to swim. What's the point? Yeah. You need yeah. to match it up. So these people that maybe bring in, you know, pay lip service to skills and they do a little bit of it or whatever, or even a lot of it, if you're not letting them then try and express themselves and try those things and put them all together, it's not pointless, but you're not getting it and you're not yeah. taking it to where, where use those things to accelerate their development but you only get good at football by playing football. So yeah. If you're going to choose yeah. one or the other, it's football all day. But if you want to accelerate the great learning things of football, you can do the individual stuff to accelerate it. So, And I, I liken it to, and I, I've only recently come up with this, it's like I view what I do as like learning a language. So my individual skills are like a vocabulary. So they're just words. So I have maybe, I've got loads of them. Say I've got 100 different turns, skills to beat players, changes of direction, you know, core skills as well and all those. Maybe yeah. say I've got 100 of them. They're like learning 100 words. Well, unless you learn how to put those words into a sentence and how they react to each other and how you can construct phrases and useful sentences, it's pointless. Yeah. It's not a tick list. You don't need to know the Cruyff and, you know, the drag back and, and all, of, all of these things as a tick list and now you're a good player. No, you need to show kids those things of what's possible 
they take out the bits that they're good at and, and what they want to, you know, what they want to, to achieve with it. Um, and then you help them to put them together as something that's useful. So creating phrases, but then the key is they need the blank canvas then to go and experiment and try those sentences and those phrases. So I liken it to you then take those sentences and you put them in to have a conversation where they've got to adapt with someone. And then you can put them into scenarios like, well, you're at the railway station, you need to get to this place, you've got this amount of money, off you go. And you're putting them in scenarios that you, as a coach, can then put the constraints on so that the kids can learn for themselves and learn how to learn. Yeah. And that's my philosophy in a, in a nutshell. It's a great analogy and, and, and not one I've heard before. So the kind of words into sentences, into conversations is a real good kind of way of describing it. Yeah, and what, what happens, um, Jay, sorry to interrupt, what happens is a lot of people go straight into the phrase book because it's in yeah. So yeah. a lot of these coaching companies or coaches, Cut corners. they go, they miss out on that vocabulary and go straight to phrases because it's instant. So that kid can then go into the railway station, if you like, and go, can I have two tickets, please? As soon as they start talking back and asking, you know, giving you options yeah. and you have to make a decision, you're done. Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly the same as I feel with football. You need, given the vocabulary, given the skills, the techniques, you teach them how to put them together themselves, how to yeah. make decisions and make it useful. Um, and, and, and that's what I believe in. And that's, that's my big message to, to, I don't know, anyone who wants to know really. <laughs> uh, it, it's great. And, and look, they might get on the train. They might not go to the right destination, but that's part of the learning process. Yes, yes. That, Absolutely. that is true. And, you know, you, if you really want to teach someone a language, you bung them in the country and you say, survive. And it's not quite as harsh as that, but you do need that at some point, throwing them in and and letting them adapt and make decisions and learning from the mistakes that they might make. Like you said, I found myself on the wrong train. I, I'm in a restaurant and I've ordered fish. I don't like fish. I thought it was a steak, you know, <laughs> and you learn from it and you adapt yeah. and, and it becomes, you know, football can be a language. Um, so, so that's my new analogy, if you like, that I'm worth. Because I try these things to try and, explain to people and your parents you know in simple terms of what it's all about and okay yeah. you might go somewhere where he's learning loads of phrases but if you want them to be the best they can be take a step back learn more words learn how to yeah. structure them and put them together so they can create their own sentences and you can throw away the phrase but you don't need it yeah you know and and it's the same thing with, with my philosophy of football and i yeah. um I, i'm writing a book at the moment as well jace where i'm I was just about to bring that in. Richard. I was going to link it to your guiding the parents. Yes. It was my next words. Well, yes, I, um, I, I'm trying to, because I'm, I'm massive on, for coaches, there is so much information out there, which we've already touched on, um, too much, in fact. Um, yeah, Some good, some's bad, some you pay for, some you don't. Um, and it, it's, it's become a bit of a problem for coaches, but it's out there. But guidance for parents... There's not a lot there. And you're at the mercy of these people that you don't know much about. You might know they're safe because they've got a DBS and they've done the safeguarding. But in terms of children's development, socially, psychologically, technically, all the other facets, you're at the mercy of them. And I think parents need to ask more questions. They need to know a little bit more about how children learn. And that there's nobody more important to a child's development 
in football or in life than the parent or the parents or the guardians, whatever your situation might be. And I don't think that they realise how important they are. They, you know, oh, my kid likes football, I'll put them in at the club. You know, they're really into football. Oh, I'll get my one-to-one coach. Is that one-to-one coach any good? Is the place you've put them in any good? What's their philosophy? How are they helping your child? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they've worked like I'm lucky to have with Adam Milana and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and things like that. Ask questions. Don't just assume that what I did with them is going to work for your child. Yeah. You know, do I want your 20, 30, 40 quid cash and go home? Or do I want to help your kid be the best that they can be? And how am I going to do that? And, and I think there's a, um, there's a lot of parents that need a bit of guidance and, and it will be lots of tips and hints. And it, it won't be a follow this format and your kid is going to come out the other end as a star or whatever. I don't want that. I want it to be this is going to help your child um, be the best person that they can be on and off the pitch and have values and how they can learn life skills and how you can enhance their journey rather than hinder it, if that makes yeah. sense. So, Sounds like you're developing the parent's contribution to the environment. Yes, yes, very much so. And you can't, you can definitely can't tell whether a kid's going to make it. But I can pick you out kids based on their parents that definitely won't because of the way they are and the way what they're doing and the pressures that they're putting on the kids and how they're shouting at them and their body language and pep talks in the car on the way home and all those kind of things that parents just make up. They don't, you know, they haven't got any background knowledge to it. They know their kid better than anyone, and that's the best start. But then if you can add it with a bit of knowledge of body language and how you can – bring out the best in your child and how you can help them over adversity and dealing with nerves and all of those type of things and the best place that they can be and what to look for and all those kind of things. And should I sign them at a pro club and this and a bit of advice, then there's no one more important than the parent. Completely agree. So Perry, what can the listener do to kind of engage with that book? Well, at the moment I'm still in the writing phase. Um, And that the trouble with writing a book is, like, for instance, chatting with you today, I'll have picked one thing or two things up from it that I think's got to go in the book. Yeah. It's like, it's where do you stop that and go, right, it's ready. And the answer is it'll never be ready. Um, but it's a bit like anything else. We've already talked about throwing yourself in the deep end. At some point, I've got to finish it and go, right, this is complete. But unfortunately, writing a book, that's a snapshot in time. And then six months later, I might think differently about things. So I need to make it clear in the book that, it's my experiences of being in and around the game from yeah. reception year, five-year-olds, right through to Champions League winners and Premier League winners. I think last time we spoke, Liverpool hadn't won the Premier League. Then. No, but they've just won it now, yeah. You've got well, a couple in there. Adam Lallana and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who I work with as a football coach as well as a um, sports therapist. You know, And it's my experiences of what I've learned all the way that's worked for other parents and other children and things that haven't worked for them doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it might work for your kid, but it will give everybody something to think about, you know? Um, so it's not ready yet. I'll let you know when it is. Um, but my name, obviously Perry Cocking, you can um, find me on Facebook or Pezzers, which is P E double Z A Z, um, street soccer and skill tech scheme. So we have, um, 
an online um, skill tech scheme for technical development, which we've got people from all over the world, America, Australia, obviously the UK, um, that are part of it and they can get access to these individual videos that I do and stuff like that. So you can find me that way and just engage and ask questions and, and, and when the book's ready, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll want to want to buy a, co- a copy, um, Definitely. which will, uh, which will be great. And, um, Andy Reid, the, you know, my mate from Charlton where I met him and Republic of Ireland player, he's doing the forward for it. Danny Mills is doing the forward for it. So I've got both of them involved. Um, and hopefully when I launch it, Charlie Webster will come and, uh, and, and be there on launch night as well. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. I, th- I think from my knowledge that there's, there isn't a great deal of resources out there for parents. And this sounds like it could be a bit of a Bible for not just coaches, but clubs as well to make sure that the parents are given copies. Um, Possibly, who knows? Yeah. And it's, it's, it started off with, I wanted to give more guidance to the parents that came into my soccer school. That was where it started. And now, speaking to people who've said i think it's a really good idea and um you know i'd be interested in getting a copy and i wish i'd had something like that and i started thinking well actually maybe it can be um a bit wider um you know audience than than what it was initially for so it's uh i'm under pressure to uh to get it done now because i've actually <laughs> thrown it out there that i'm doing it so um, it's out in the public domain. It's what you said earlier. You you've made the decision. You've now got a. There's no plan B. You've got to get a book out there. Yeah, and I do have a podcast myself called The Inner Huddle. So I have uh, regular guests on there, and I have people sending in questions. And the idea behind that's similar. Parents, even players, can ask questions. Anything you want to know. How does my kid get scouted? You know, by my kids' coaches shouting. What should I do? Anything you want, I will address and give you um, my little bit of experience thrown in. If I've had situations like it myself or what I would do in that situation, might not always be right, but it's it's advice built on experience now. I think I can say that after the amount of years I've been in the game. I don't think that can be argued. I think think your mindset, your philosophy... uh... Your beliefs, I think, have been have been chiselled away over a number of years. Yeah. I won't make you feel too old, but you know you've got plenty of experience to be able to justify what you've said and, and what you've done, which is great. So, obviously, for the listener, there's a book going to come out at some stage in the future. Be mindful of that. Yeah, Perry's obviously shared his his uh, his Facebook details, so you can kind of catch up with Perry there, and. Um, Perry's podcast, remind us again, The Inner Huddle, is it? Yeah, it's The Inner Huddle, and it's on, it's on pretty much all of them, I guess, by now, but um, iTunes is obviously the favourite one, um, and it's just been put onto Spotify. So there's awesome. um, two two of the main places that you can go and get it. Yeah, The, the Inner Huddle is supposed to be like The Inner Circle, but as a huddle. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I've been toying with the idea of changing it to the name of the book when it comes out that way, but I quite like it, so yeah. I might keep it there. But... Um, yeah, or my personal Facebook, Perry Cocking, you know, um, speak to me through that. And if you want any more info about the skill tech scheme or my journey or um, the book, anything like that, or follow on Facebook, Pezza Street Soccer and Skill Tech Scheme. Brilliant. And Perry, I'll make sure I promote all those when, when I promote Thank this episode of, of the show. Honestly, what an incredible hour and 20 minutes. Um, I don't think there's going to be much edited. I think there's so much valuable content and messaging in there 
really excited to share this with with the coaching community. Perry, I really appreciate your time. I know you're, you're very busy and you've been very kind to give us some of your time. So been really good connecting with you again. As with all good interviews and, and kind of conversations, I'm walking away with a few more questions than answers. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about some of the things you've said and, and the street soccer curiosity is, is being stirred in me. So um, you might find me asking you a few questions hey, in the future. You're welcome, mate. You know that. Appreciate that. So, Perry, thanks again for your time. Um, yeah. I, I hope the listeners connect with you because um, you're a fountain of knowledge and experience and, and a great resource for coaches. So thanks very much for your time, Perry. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, mate. Thank you for listening to the Global Soccer Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode featuring Perry Cockin, please take two minutes to make this podcast host very happy by leaving a review on your podcast player. Firstly, I appreciate it as your feedback will help more people discover the show. And remember, sharing is caring. And secondly, you'll make my day. And also, I'll give you a shout out on future episodes. Join me next time when we talk to a remarkable female coach who is doing great things in both the girls and the boys game. See you next time. Thank you.